Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here. As always, a hell of a show for you today. We have three guests. We're going to be talking about Albert Sambi Lokonga. We're going to be talking about Aaron Ramsdale. And we've also got general Arsenal stuff coming up as well. I should point out that the three guests I've recorded with, well, for two, it's irrelevant. But with the guest later on, who's Art de Roche from The Athletic. We spoke and did our conversation about Arsenal, and literally the second we stopped recording, well, not literally the second, but within five minutes of us stopping recording, we got the announcement of Emile Smith-Rowe's new contract and new number. He is the number 10 at Arsenal with a new long-term contract under his belt. It's great news. I think it's fantastic. He is clearly a player of huge potential. It's brilliant that we have secured his future. The number 10 shirt suits him. It looks good on him. It's a sign of uh, the importance that we are placing in his talent. And, you know, at a time when we're looking for things which are encouraging, which are positive, which speak to the future getting better and improving, Proving, I think this is certainly one of those things. Smith Rowe, I won't say single-handedly changed our fortunes last season, but he played a very significant part in it. And I think what, what I like most about this uh, is that Smith Rowe plays in a way which has to, in some way, inform your style the kind of football that you want to play. He's fearless. He's positive. He can run with the ball. He can score goals. He can create goals. And, you know, if you were to go back in time and take Smith Rowe and put him in what you might consider like the archetypal uh, Arsene Wenger side in terms of how they played the game and how Arsene Wenger wanted his team to play the game, he would fit perfectly. He would not be out of place. And... After a season or two where our football has been nowhere near that kind of thing, to have someone like him break through, be rewarded, and hopefully set some of the tone for where we want to go alongside, let's say, Bakayo Saka with Gabriel Martinelli, with some of the younger players that are coming through, Kieran Tierney, etc., etc., those are things that you hang on to while you're waiting for the other good stuff to happen. There's a lot still to do at Arsenal this summer. There's no two ways about it. But there are things like this, like getting Balogun signed to a new deal, which do suggest that hopefully the future is brighter. 
we can't tell for sure yet, but those are the things that if you ask people, what have we got to do with the young players that are coming through? We've got to get Saka tied down. We've got to get Smith Rowe tied down. We've got to get Balagoon tied down. We've got to make them feel important. We've got to integrate them properly. This is more evidence of that happening. Um, but as I said, much of this podcast was recorded before that happened, so we're not going to talk about it too much here. I think it is something that James and I will discuss at greater length in the Arscast Extra whenever we record that I'm not sure if it's going to be Sunday or Monday of this week, uh, but we will talk about Smith Rowe and his new deal and what it means for the club, the team, etc., etc. on the next Arscast Extra. Suffice to say, it's good news. I'm very happy about it. I hope all you guys are happy about it too, because, well, good news has been in short supply of late. Uh, and the more we have of that, the merrier. And the more it looks like our team might be going in the right direction, the merrier of that too if that makes uh, any sense. Okay, look, as I said, later on, we're talking to Arthur Roche from The Athletic. We are also going to be talking to Ben Meekin from The Blades Pod, which is a podcast dedicated to not Wilkinson Sword, but Sheffield United. And with all the Aaron Ramsdale stories that have been doing the rounds this week, I thought it might be interesting to talk to him about the player, about our interest in him, about where he sees the valuation, etc., etc. But first, with me to talk about the new signing that we actually made this week, Albert Sambi Lokonga, a man who has seen him up close and personal from his position as the commentator for 11 sports covering the Belgian Pro League and also an Arsenal fan. It's Michael Van Varenberg. Hi, Michael. Hi, Andrew. Let me ask you this. Leaving aside the fact that Arsenal have just signed a Belgian player, uh, and that obviously adds a little bit of interest. Uh, you know, if Arsenal signed an Irish player, I'd, I'd be in, into it too. How do you feel about uh, Lokonga going to Arsenal? Is this a signing that, as an Arsenal fan, pleases you? Maybe I'm a bit um, prejudiced uh, because I really... I like Belgians playing for my favorite team in England, and yeah. that is Arsenal, of course. So I was um, very delighted when Thomas Vermaal signed for Arsenal a couple of years ago, and I'm very delighted that there's another Belgian uh, signing for uh, for uh, the Arsenal. So uh, I'm very happy. Um, I also think Sami Lokonga is a, a decent prospect, but I use the word prospect, prospect because... Uh, he is uh, still a work in progress. Okay. Well, you've watched a lot of him. So, you know, I think we can all, and, and people are aware that he has been brought in because of his age profile. He's just 21. Uh, he's got lots of room to develop and to fulfill the potential that he has. So before we talk a little bit more about, um, you know, some of his strengths and weaknesses, how would you mm -hmm. describe him as a player? Because in his interview with Arsenal.com, he was asked if he could play box to box. And he said, yeah, I can do that. But people, people say that I'm best as a, as a six, as a kind of deeper lying midfielder. In the foreseeable future, He'll probably be a very good number six, but right now he's he's a hybrid. He is a number eight, uh, more the link-up guy between defense and attack. Um, really loves to have the ball uh, at his feet. Uh, um, let me go uh, through our positive points and negative points. One of the negative points I will stress will be that he maybe need to uh, put a little bit more risk in his passing, but he's a guy who loves to have the ball at his feet. He loves to find footballing solutions. So, um, yeah, is he a number six? Probably if he uh, spends a lot of time in the gym because the Premier League is a physical competition. Uh, right now, at 21 years of age, uh, he's not the um, 
toughest uh, defensive midfielder. So I think you should probably couple him with Thomas Partey. Um, mm. Maybe he can work between the lines outside of the duels uh, a bit more than really the number six who has to muscle his way into uh, uh, ball position for uh, for the Gunners. Okay, well, that's interesting because we've um, spoken during the week and we did a bit of profile work on him and, and nobody really talked about the physical aspect of things. So, I mean, is there a, a marked difference physically between... Um, you know the big man in the Belgian Pro League and the big man in the in the Premier League. Is it more about the the pace of the the Premier League? Uh, he is still twenty one. I think at twenty one, you're still kind of growing. You know, you you fill out a bit. You can fill out a bit. So, is that something you really think is an important um, aspect of of what he's got to work on? Not simply the football side of things, but but maybe bulking up a bit, getting into the gym. Yeah, his, his mentor is, is Vincent Company, and he's the perfect example. When Vincent Company joined Manchester City from Hamburg uh, lots of years ago, mm. he was also a bit thinner, uh, slimmer than uh, Vincent Company right now. Uh, he's still in great shape, uh, even though he's, <laughs> he's became a, a manager uh, the last uh, two years. But I think he, he really needs to bulk up because the, the the Premier League, and it's a cliche, but it's a cliche, I think, that has some truth to it. Uh, is a physical competition where uh, you really uh, you need to be sound on your feet. You, you really need to be strong in the aerial duels and duels on the ground. He's, he's a good uh, recuperator on the ground, but I think um, for really uh, to be the surplus that Arsenal needs right now in uh, the defensive aspect of the game, he, he could use maybe, um, and I'll say it in the metric system, maybe five or six, seven kilos. Uh, yeah. Uh, in muscle right now. Okay. Um, We're going to talk about what he's like with the ball at his feet in and out of possession. Is there aerial ability in there? Because Arsenal have, you know, if Granit Xhaka goes, for example... You know, he's a, he's a fairly big guy, Jackie, six foot one, whatever he is. He does provide some presence both in midfield and at set pieces. Is that a, an area of strength for him? How, how does he fare in that regard? Uh, he's not the uh, type of player uh, you'll uh, put up front uh, when uh, trailing and you need <laughs> one goal. He's not that. He's, he's also six foot, but his uh, capabilities in the air are, I think, less than none. Um, so he's really uh, a football uh, first kind of football player. So um, he's been uh, going through the Anderlecht school for the past 10 years, which is comparable to uh, the Arsene Wenger way of uh, playing football. So the footballing solution is important. Um, fast passing, uh, change of rhythm. So he's not, uh, he'll probably be the one um, giving the corner kicks and giving the free kicks and not the one you'll uh, put at the first post or at the second post because he's not, he's not, the, as I was saying, he's not, the, he's not a Hulk. Eh? He's not yeah. somebody muscling uh, himself uh, into possession. He has to use his brain more. He's more, his footballing IQ is, is off the charts, I, I believe. So he, that's where his strength lies. So set pieces, defensively or offensively, defensively, no. Offensively, if he has to take him. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Another thing that I, I suppose they're going to have to work on a bit because that is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bigger part of the game perhaps in, in the Premier League. It was interesting earlier, you talked about him when in possession as, as somebody who 
maybe needs to take a bit more risk with his passing? And do you mean sort of um, in terms of how he gets the ball forward? Because that is one of the things that that stood out to our profile guys. Um, You know, that we did a podcast and a profile piece on the site that he does like to get the ball forward. He does like to progress the ball. But is it is it a case that you, you think he could do more? He likes to progress the ball, but he doesn't really do that in the final third of the pitch. So that's where if you are a bit severe and you only look at statistics, uh, scoreboard journalism, yeah, 78 games uh, for Anderlecht, only seven assists and three goals. That are not statistics that blow you away. Mm. And we're talking about a small, uh, smaller league, uh, um, a farmer's league, as, uh, <laughs> uh, as people in England like to describe us. Um, so his numbers need to increase. And how can he increase those numbers? By taking more risks, by shooting uh, more, because he has a, a strong right foot. Um, the comparisons are easy uh, to draw with Yuri Tielemans, who plays for Leicester right now. Mm. Um, he already showed that he had um, striking uh, capabilities from distance, um, in the Belgian league, and he has improved that even more in the Premier League. And Sambi, he has that in his arsenal, pun intended, um, but he needs to uh, take more chances. He needs to uh, shoot more balls, and he has to, because he has a lot of uh, Vista vision, he has to uh, progress the ball up until the um, till the box, box and then give the final pass. Because right now he's more the player of the, pre-assist than the assist. And I think he has the possibility to become also the player who can give the final ball. Okay, interesting. What about, um, you know, his defensive work then? That is something that people will be looking at. You know, his positioning, um, it was suggested that he's maybe a little bit rash when it comes to to his tackling and what have you, but reads the game very well. I mean, you, yeah. you talked about his footballing IQ. There's a, a you know, whatever, uh, how you want to describe it. He's uh, cerebral. He can see the game. He can read the game, but perhaps can be a bit impetuous. Is, is that just simply a case that he's young and relatively inexperienced and those are things that, that players often develop with time. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think uh, Mikel Arteta is the um, best manager to learn him uh, as uh, he was in his own career as a player, um, uh, number eight, who really did not uh, anticipate in a wild manner that Sambi Lakonga tends to do sometimes. Mm. But right now, um, the biggest asset Sambi Lakonga has is that he is um, somebody who has a, I don't know if uh, we can say this in English, but he has a large action radius. His, his heat maps show that he'll be um, left, right, uh, center. He's, uh, he's a very uh, physical, strong um, runner uh, without the ball and with the ball at his feet. So he sees, he sees where uh, to cut off the passing lanes. And that's important in the Premier League where mm. – um, counter football and um, uh, recuperating the ball and starting a counterattack uh, is is golden these days. Uh, when you talk about the football of Jurgen Klopp, it is uh, built around that. And he sees that, but sometimes he uh, forgets that there's nobody in his back. So he... He leaves uh, space. He leaves his position and he leaves space and that can... Uh, uh, can work uh, negatively uh, for your team, of course. Okay. What else? I mean, if there was one more thing you you would say he had to work on, um, having joined Arsenal, having taken uh, you know a step up, I suppose, in terms of the the league that he's playing in, um, in terms of how challenging that is. 
what will be one more thing that you think he is going to have to really focus on to become a success at Arsenal and in the Premier League? I think he uh, he has to lower his expectations a bit um, because I don't think he was the, the captain at Anderlecht. I don't think he'll be playing each week, mm. week in, week out. Uh, I don't know if he will start the game against Chelsea. All depends if uh, on if uh, Chaka stays or not. But if Chaka is there, I think Arteta um, will uh, give his confidence uh, to the Swiss player who is experienced, who had a great Euro, much better than uh, his past two seasons at Arsenal. So mm. um, if he's there, uh, he'll probably be um, a substitute. So uh, he has to be ready. Um that uh, he'll probably have um, less playing time than he's used to the couple of seasons, uh, the past couple of seasons at Anderlecht. But um, he's a he's a very intelligent player, and he'll pick up um, the demands of a, a stronger and faster competition quite fast. He'll show in training to Arteta that he's up to the task. So uh, if Chaka uh, might leave. That will be a golden opportunity for him. But then I have to repeat to the Arsenal fans who are listening, you have to show patience because he is a work in progress. He's only 21 years of age. Um, I do think that he will not get a, a Smith Rowe treatment with a couple of loan spells. Uh, I think he'll, uh, he'll be certain to stay at Arsenal. Mm. But um, it could be also that he um, needs a couple of months to adapt to um, the, the faster pace that uh, yeah, other players are common to uh, in, in the Premier League. What what can you tell us about his character? I, I watched his interview that he did with, with Arsenal.com. He speaks really good English, which, of course, is going to be a help. Um, it is one of the things I think that can make adaptation more difficult or, or certainly take more time when a player arrives and they have to learn a new language. Um, mm-hmm. That's not going to be really a consideration for him. He speaks really good English. You know, he was the captain of Anderlecht. Um, you know, in terms of his personality, in terms of his character on the pitch and off the pitch, what can you tell us? Well, he has leadership capabilities. Uh, his coach, um, Vincent Company, thinks he's a natural leader and he's well, the right person who has uh, an eye for uh, these kinds of things. So mm-hmm. um, that's uh, definitely not a lie. I don't think in the dressing room will be the, the timid type who is... Uh, Scared of Obama Young or scared of uh, of other uh, experienced players? No, no. Um, and as you said, his English yeah, it only needs a bit of a dust up. I think. Yeah. Um, you can. Um, it reminds me a bit of Kerry Henry speaking uh, English when he first arrived um, at Arsenal. In Belgium, we say with a tad bit of hair on. So, uh, <laughs> but That's a he understands. Expression. He understands what the coach has to say. Yeah. So that that won't be a problem. Um, and character wise, um, he is uh, somebody who has his uh, feet planted firmly on the ground. He is not somebody who is flashy, posh. He has incredible grades with the ball at his feet. I. I he reminds me of Abu Dhabi when I see him uh, playing. Less injury prone, of course. Mm. Um, and we have to hope so. That, yeah, <laughs> that sure. is really the case. Um, so, but he's, he's ambitious, very driven, but not arrogant. So, I think um, mentally he has the right uh, he has the right uh, character traits to succeed at Arsenal. Just finally, then, you know, Andrew, like you mentioned, the uh, you know having come up through the academy at Anderlecht and playing in a very specific way and being taught to play in a specific way, um, maybe similar to the way Ajax bring up players. You know, there is a style of play. Mm -hmm. And at Arsenal right now, it's difficult to know quite what it is that Mikel Arteta is seeking to do with this team. 
is that going to be perhaps beneficial to him in in the sense that maybe it's a bit of a blank slate at Arsenal uh, when Arteta sets up his team for next season, how he coaches them, what system, what formation they're going to use. Uh, and he too, at 21 years of age, is again a bit of a blank slate as a player that you can, you've got him at an age where you can, you can mold. mold him into what you want him to be. Yeah, he's um, in the youth uh, ranks. He was uh, certainly always um, with the ball, his feet, dominant football. Uh, I think Anderlecht um, has an average of 80% possession uh, from 14 years up until uh, 17, 18 years. Wow. Uh, in the Belgian league, the best seasons, uh, the first season he uh, really broke through. Anderlecht was uh, in shambles, was really... Um, they have lots of uh, financial troubles. They uh, had to sell their best players. Um, and he came through in a time when uh, Anderlecht could be compared to the Arsenal of last season. Um, but in 2020-21, he played the top of the league. So he's, uh, he's also managed to play uh, the big games pretty good, much better than his first season. So um, I think he, he knows how to adapt himself to the uh, demands of um, of a team if Arsenal start the season well and they play um, the way they are uh, accustomed to playing under Arsene Wenger. And I do believe uh, Arteta um, really wants to play that kind of football but had to be a bit flexible the past few seasons. So that all depends. But I think he is capable uh, of making the switch in his head and um, really... Uh, uh, doing what the coach uh, demands of him. Okay. Um, very finally then, leaving uh, Sambi to one side, as an Arsenal fan, what are, you, what are you hoping for for the rest of this transfer window and uh, to sort of get you invigorated for, for next season? Uh, <laughs> Do we have enough time to answer all that? <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad that there's uh, there's been two additions, uh, Tavares and now Sambi Lakonga. Uh, but if we're really uh, honest, uh, I think uh, maybe in defense, uh, we need to, uh, an incredible stalwart in the central role uh, because I really believe... Um, that the players uh, where they're right now are not really going to cut it if we want to step up a level. Mm. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a blessing in disguise that there's no European football at Arsenal. Uh, it's been uh, an eternity since that has happened, but that means the focus can really be on the, on the domestic side of things. Uh, and I'm, I'm really glad because then we only have to uh, see Arsenal and hopefully not struggle one time a week, so one time a week. Uh, but if if I'm really honest, there should be an addition, uh, an experienced addition in all lines right now. Um, so you're talking and, about defense, midfield, and attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Well, look, but, fingers. But it's also uh, <laughs> it, it's also a Corona pandemic. There are uh, probably not uh, uh, the the money available is not as big as uh, as in a normal season. I would uh, would suppose. Uh, there has been talk also about um, uh, new uh, incoming uh, investors or maybe Crunky um, selling his, uh, his, um, uh, his uh, shareholding. Yeah, his shareholding. Yeah. So uh, 
it's all a very uh, a big smoke screen has been put up uh, these uh, past months. So I'm really um, excited, but also really scared for the season to come. Okay, well, look, fingers crossed they can allay some of those fears and bring in the players that we need and we can enjoy Arsenal once a week winning, just winning 38 games next season. That's all we need to do. Simple. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Michael, thank you very much indeed for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed to Michael. You can find him on Twitter at M Van Varenberg, at M Van Varenberg. If you can't spell it, don't worry. Check your podcast app. There should be a link in there. And of course, there will be a link on arsblog.com as well. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now, Arsenal's reported interest in Sheffield United goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale has certainly got fans talking. Anyway, that's for sure. There's a reported £30 million price tag on the 23-year-old in a summer where we've got lots to do. It seems like a lot of money, but what about the player himself? He is, um, again, the subject of a lot of discussion, but I can't say I've watched him in any great detail, so I'm delighted to talk to somebody who has from Blades Pod. It is Ben Meekin. Hi, Ben. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Not too bad. Thank you very much. So look, uh, Aaron Ramsdale, give me a little bit of history about him because his career has been a little bit unconventional in some senses in that he was with Sheffield United, he was sold, he came back for a big price tag. Um, you know, give us a little bit of background on him as a player and, and where he is now. Yeah, it is, it is quite an unusual journey, I think, and it will be even more unusual if he uh, if he does leave this summer because... Uh, yeah, we would have sold him twice before he turned 24. Which is <laughs> pretty, I don't think many players really go through that, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, as you say, he, uh, he is a Sheffield lad. He started with um, he started with United as a youth player. Uh, Chris Wilder actually both sold him and bought him. So he left quite early on in the, uh, uh, in the Wilder years. Mm-hmm. Um, for an amount which, you know, later looked quite ridiculous. It was about one and a half million with sort of future incentives to Bournemouth. But at the time, when I think he was about 17, 18 years old, we were in League One, it made financial sense. He wasn't our first choice keeper. He was a youth player with high potential, as we're now sort of seeing, you know, getting into the England squad for the Euros, that kind of thing. Um, I think he did well at Bournemouth. The I guess the stick that is sort of unfairly, I, I think unfairly used to beat him, is that obviously two seasons with two different clubs, both of them have got relegated. 
Um, I would say that he has won player of season, player of the season for both of those clubs in those seasons. Um, and yeah, it's I wouldn't hold that over him. He played behind an atrocious defence at Bournemouth um, and unfortunately played behind a really bad defence last year as well. The amount that we regressed defensively year to year was quite stark and not down to him almost entirely, if you like. You know, I think he, he played a he played a part in that in the bad start to the season, but it was certainly not like we've mm. replaced Dean Henderson with Aaron Ramsdale. Oh my god, it's all fallen apart. That was very much not the case. Yeah. I was gonna ask you, like uh, one of my questions was what what do you think is an unfair criticism that's leveled at him as a player? And you've you've mentioned something there that like people will point to the fact he's been relegated with two uh two teams. Um look it's always difficult for a goalkeeper when you're playing in a team with without a great defence. But a team doesn't get relegated on the strength or weakness of their goalkeeper alone, really. You know, particularly, mm. um, you know, when you look at how relegated uh, you guys were last season. You know, there was a big gap in, in your performance levels from the previous season. So that, that clearly played a part. But as a player, is, is there anything that you see him criticised for that you think, well, actually, that's not really fair. It's only one or two moments that perhaps have, have created that perception of this weakness or whatever it might be in his game. So I, I wouldn't say, I, I don't think I could pick out one quality that's, um, you know, a weakness that is overplayed. I mm. think, I don't know. I think United fans have quite a good understanding of, of what he is. When he was at Bournemouth, he was a, a league average goalkeeper in the Premier League. You know, if you look at all the sort of underlying stats, he wasn't a great goalkeeper. He wasn't Dean Henderson for us, who was like a top six goalkeeper that season. But he wasn't terrible either. He wasn't the reason they got relegated. So I, when we signed him at the start of last season, I kind of assumed that's what we're getting. We're getting a, an average Premier League goalkeeper. That generally is a good thing if you own one of those, mm. um, you know, put you right in the middle of the pack. He started really badly, or rather he started below par and then had a couple of months really where you could sort of see the pressure had got to him a little bit. Um, I, I don't think I'm being unfair on him in saying that. He you know, he really did look like his confidence um, had gone. And we, um, my uh, fellow podcaster, and I think quite a few other United fans were sort of saying, not we need to get rid of him, but we should probably take him out of the firing line. You know, he's still only 22, I think, at that point. Um, you know, I was just thinking, I think we were going to Old Trafford, basically. We hadn't won for goodness knows how long <laughs> at that point. And we're thinking, oh, my God, this could be horrific. Like, for him, we don't want him to have to go through that. As it happens, he played really well at Old Trafford. Uh, we won that game, bizarrely, our only away <laughs> win the season. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the second half of the season, he was tremendous. I, it, it was, I don't I wouldn't say it was an instantaneous, like, uh, switch, uh, flipping of a switch, because he still had a few dodgy moments after the Old Trafford game. But there was some, I would say, for three months at the end of the season, he was absolutely outstanding. I think you could make the case he was the most informed England English goalkeeper in the back half of the season. Absolutely brilliant. No no signs of, you know, lack of confidence or technique. He, I think a thing that we sort of saw at the start of the season was he'd save the shots you'd expect him to save, but it would very rarely save... You know, something right in the corner. There's the, the sort of real value add that you get from the top goalkeepers. So there was a lot of, which we did see with Henderson quite a bit the previous season. 
But in the second half of the season, he was like a one-man defence at times. I mean, you know, I could pick out a handful of games at Liverpool at home. It was, I mean, I was just laughing to myself. So what is going on? We should be 5 nil down and it's nil-nil at half-time because Ramsdale's just gone absolutely bananas. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, I kind of mentioned about his confidence and I think that's such a big deal that he was able to turn that round in, in a season mm. that didn't really get better for us in terms of, you know, our, our fortunes on the pitch, if you like. I know we picked up 20-odd points towards the end of the season, but we were we were down from November, essentially. Mm. It wasn't like we you know, went on a great run and had a redemption story. So I think that's massively to his credit. I think that's something that if he does go to Arsenal, I imagine that will be um, a, a sort of concern. It's like, oh, can he handle the pressure of, you know, making that step from a two teams that have battled relegation to one that has aspirations to get in the Champions League. But, yeah, he, he looks like a, a pretty strong-willed customer, to be honest. And, um, yeah, he, he was he was quite flappable in the early months and uh, is doing a good impression of an unflappable goalkeeper now. So, right. yeah, he, he was very candid about his, um, his confidence and his form, like around that sort of period. But then, uh, yeah, really, really stepped up at the end of the season. Do you think that those performances are more in line with the potential that he has as a goalkeeper and as a player than the the, the poor run of form that I think obviously has, um, you know, there's no no hiding place anymore in football, is there? That if you go through a poor run of form, it takes a hell of a lot for people to reassess the judgments that they make on you during that period. So you can be terrible for three months and maybe it takes you two years before people will go, well, actually, look, this guy's this guy's not bad. You know, as someone who's watched him a lot, what do you think is closest um, to him, the true him, if you like, as a player? Arsenal have a similar uh, scenario, let's say, with, with Joe Willock, who went on loan to Newcastle, went on this incredible goal-scoring run of form. It's unbelievable but, you know, he's not going to do that next season. He's not going to score seven, eight games in a row in, in the Premier League. It just seems impossible. It's not that he won't score goals. He will, but just not with that frequency. So, you know, is Ramsdale capable of producing those performances on a more consistent basis? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, he is really young for a goalkeeper, but he's played, mm. played a lot of games now. So I think the I think he didn't do himself justice in the first few months of the season. I, I see that more as an aberration. Like, he was... He was worse for us in those few months than he was in the season before for Bournemouth. It wasn't like mm. that that was the goalkeeper we signed, that bad goalkeeper yeah. who became good. It, you could you could really see uh, – it, it's hard to describe this without using sort of slightly patronising terms, I suppose, but it did look a bit like stage fright. You know, it was playing in empty stadiums. You know, the team had done so well the previous season and now we couldn't buy a win, we couldn't keep a clean sheet, yeah. couldn't score a goal – so you could just see all that kind of stacking up on top of him. And there were, yeah, there were things where he just like the basics were, it just deserted him. You know, it, it like he got the yips in golf or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was dropping easy catches, kicking it to, you know, straight into touch, this kind of thing. So I I really do think that he, he solved that over the sort of back half of the season. And um, yeah, I, I don't think he's... I mean, maybe we can come on to the the what I think for the of the fit for Arsenal. I suppose mm. I don't think he's I don't think he's at that level yet. But twenty three, he could get there. He's he, he has the tools for sure. What about you know the idea that Arsenal and Mikel Arteta are a team which wants to play it out from the back quite a lot now? They want to uh, be a possession side. It looks like that's the way he's trying to set things up. So. 
with the ball at his feet. Um, and obviously, uh, under Chris Wilder and the, and the setup that you had, particularly in the first season back in the Premier League, you know, you played a very distinctive style. H- how is he in that regard with the ball at his feet? Is he somebody who reacts well to pressure? Could he could he deal with a high press, for example, which is an area that Arsenal have struggled a little bit with when we try and play that way and teams decide, OK, we're going to press you high. We can get a little bit panicked. Um you know, you need assurance with not just the defenders, but with the goalkeeper these days if you want to play that way. So how is that going to fit if if a deal went through? I think I think like with a lot of Ramsdale's game, that he's okay at that. I mean, the, the thing, you know, how is, he, uh, how is he dealing with building from the back? The underused is mm. the word I would use there. <laughs> um, by, by instruction, um, I mean, look, and uh, I, I really wish Chris Wilder was still the manager and, the way that uh, the approach that we used in that first season absolutely worked, but I think a lack of uh, willingness to deviate from that definitely harmed us mm. last season. So under instruction, Ramsdale, we barely ever played out from the back. You know, every goal kick went long. But then towards the end of the season, uh, under caretaker manager, there was a clear emphasis just on the whole team, I think, on just building from the back a bit more. And yeah, he's he's fine. He's not, um, you know, he's not Allison or Edison or anything like that, but mm. he's he's not a mug either. He's not someone that panics immediately as soon as he gets the ball. In fact, I, I there was one of my frustrations with him during that first half of the season. I was like, I, I know you're better than that. Like, you know, you you don't you don't have to just boot it straight to the unmarked central defender of the opposition. I know you can play a forty yard pass to the full back and yeah. we saw that in the second half of the season so it's it's not stood out as like oh my god this guy's so good at uh it's not like it's not like pickford levels for example to use a uh england goalkeeper comparison but yeah he's he's fine with the ball at his feet and again maybe that's something that will uh improve with time as well yeah i mean it's not as if jordan pickford doesn't have a bit of previous about playing the ball straight to uh, the opposition <laughs> at times as we saw even mm. during the euros um <laughs> The the price tag is an interesting one. I mean, there's talk of 30 million. You guys bought him back from Bournemouth for what, 18, 18 and a half million, something like that? Thereabouts, yeah. What would you consider a fair price for Aaron Ramsdale? Because Arsenal fans are looking at this and they're thinking, look, we need a central midfielder. We need uh, an attacking midfielder, someone who can give us some uh, some uh, competition, some cover for Emile Smith-Rowe. We need the central midfielder to come in alongside Thomas Partey. We're going to spend, it seems, £50 million on Ben White from Brighton, who's going to come in as a first-team central defender. And they're looking at a spend or a projected spend of, you know, between 20 and 30 million pounds for a goalkeeper who's going to come in as number two to Bernd Leno, certainly this season. You know, I don't think you spend that money on a goalkeeper unless you think he is capable of being your number one goalkeeper, you know, a club like Arsenal. I think no club is going to spend 30 million pounds on someone they consider a second choice goalkeeper, regardless of his homegrown status. So there's some anxiousness about the fee from an Arsenal fan's perspective because of everything else that needs to be done. But what would you consider a reasonable fee for him, all things considered, the market, what you paid for him? I mean, you clearly, as a club, don't want to take a loss on him, but, you know, where would you say, okay, 
that'll that'll be acceptable for me you know taking into account the circumstances that you guys have as well and that that money could well be pretty useful to to reinvest in in your squad and a push to come back to premier league yeah i, th- I think that that amount of 30 million is uh is hard to turn down i think any less than that it becomes easier to turn down purely because of how much we paid for him mm. You know, twelve months ago, the the fact he is young, he is getting into the England squad now. He's, you know, he's, he's theoretically ironed out those kind of early kinks in his game from when he uh, when he first came back to Bramall Lane, if you like. I'd, I'd be really frustrated if we sold him for. I mean, to be honest, I don't want to leave. Full stop. It's just thirty million as a Championship club. Mm. It's, it's, that is hard to turn down for a position that you can presumably find an adequate replacement for. Um, If we're still in the Premier League, I mean, I'd be talking like, I I wouldn't want to sell him for anything less than 50 million, which I know sounds farcical, but that's the value of a young goalkeeper, like who's, you Mm. know, established in the club. He's, you know, forming those relationships with the defenders. He's, as I say, he's played, I think every, every minute of the last two seasons in the Premier League, there's there's not too many young English goalkeepers like that. Where we are at the moment, uh, as I say, I, I think it would be hard to turn down 30 million. But at the same time, as you've alluded to there, it doesn't seem like a move that makes much sense to me for anyone apart from Sheffield United at that amount. Because I, I, I'm scratching my head. I mean, I, I'm generally quite cynical about a lot of football transfer rumours, but then I saw this yeah. was one, this was reporting like The Athletic and stuff, and I realised there is some, you know, it, it has some legs. But it, it just doesn't make sense to me that Arsenal would spend that amount on, as you say, a backup goalkeeper. I'm under no illusions about what, what role Ramsdale would have in the probably short and medium term mm. at Arsenal. Um, and then from his point of view, does he want to go and... I mean, look, Arsenal, obviously, as I say, aspirations a lot higher than Sheffield United, certainly for next season. <laughs> but does he want to go and having just played every minute of those two seasons, does he want to go and just play League Cup games for the next couple of seasons? You know, as I say, just getting into the England mm. squad, will he be out of the England squad if he's not playing football at all? I, I don't know if I'm insane to think he's more likely to stay in, around the England squad if he's playing every week in the Championship than if he was you know, warming the bench or second or third choice at Arsenal. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I don't... This move makes no logical sense to me. But to answer your question, if Arsenal want to give us 30 million, I, I think we have to accept it. Yeah, I think, I think it has to be a long-term investment, if not for next season. I mean, look, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that if we spend that much money on a goalkeeper this summer, it, he could be the first choice. There is an issue with Bernd Leno... They don't seem willing to give him a new contract. They are trying to rebuild, it seems clear, with a younger profile of player and what have you. But, you know, I think you make some really interesting points there about having got to the England squad. If he comes in and is deputy slash competition to Leno at the start of the season, you know, where does he end up in international terms? And also, I suppose there's another question there is, you know, you make the the good point that he is a young goalkeeper and young goalkeepers can uh, take time to reach their potential. But what what happens to your development, even if you're training well, what happens to your development if you play a few League Cup games, few FA Cup games? Arsenal don't have the Europa League or anything like that this season. There's no European football, no, no European goalkeeper versus Premier League goalkeeper. Is it not... Um, potentially damaging to his development if he comes in and just sits for a while, even if it's six months. 
Yeah, I, I might be uh, I might be being naive with the England squad thing. I mean, again, I'm just thinking back to Dean Henderson. You know, mm. I, I I thought he was making a huge mistake last summer not going out on loan again, which I I, I don't know if that was his choice at all. But I thought, wow, you're just gonna you know you've had a phenomenal season with United getting into uh, Sheffield United getting into <laughs> the top ten of the Premier League. You know, having one of the best. Uh, most clean sheets in the league, that kind of uh, that kind of record, and now you're just going to sit and on the bench and play the odd uh, Europa League game while De Gea, you know, laps mm. it up. But but that worked out all right for him. You know, by the end of the season, he played quite a bit in the Premier League, played loads in the uh, cups and Europe, and he obviously mm. would have been in that England squad and, and presumably second choice behind Pickford as well. So maybe I am being naive on that front, but yeah, it does seem a weird move to me. Overall. All right. Well, look, um, it's interesting talking about this because, you know, I don't know that we're um, making anybody's fears or worries about this any less, but certainly it gives us a bit more background and context to him as a player. So thank you very much indeed for that, Ben. Good to talk to you. And what's the, obviously the aspirations for next season are to, to come back up. How, how confident are you that we might see Sheffield United in the Premier League again in 22-23? I mean, the aspirations have to be, yeah, uh, promotion. As to how we're going to do, <laughs> I've absolutely no idea. I don't know what's going on. Like we, and not in terms of like uh, it's all a mess, but we've we've, we've only played one preseason game, which was ostensibly a training game, sort of ten days ago. We haven't got anything for another week. Uh, I think most of the first team squad is currently isolating due to a positive COVID test. No new players as yet. So how are we going to do? I've absolutely no idea. But I am very, very excited for Birmingham City at home in two and a half weeks. Season ticket purchased. Get me back in Bramall Lane. Cannot wait. Well, that's the thing. Back in the stadium, which is great. Well, listen, good luck to you and to uh, Sheffield United next season. And uh, we'll chat again soon, hopefully. Thank you. Thanks very much. That was Ben Meekin from Blades Pod, a podcast dedicated to Sheffield United. They're on Twitter at Blades Pod, at Blades Pod. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with this Aaron Ramsdale thing. Are we interested? Yes. Are we interested at £30 million? I'm not quite so sure. But look, it'll all come out in the wash sooner or later. Now, let's move on. And my final guest on this triple header arse cast doesn't happen that often this is quite the rarity to talk a bit about arsenal in general some of the transfer stuff and some of the rumors going around it is my pleasure to welcome from the athletic it's art de rocher hi andrew thanks for having me it's quite um a wild one i didn't actually mention it off air but uh i remember listening to the pod when i was like in uni in my first year in uni and to be on it now is quite uh mad when i think about it but um (laughs) Yeah, glad to be on and hopefully I'm the right guest. Yeah, well, uh, you know, no pressure. I'm sure everything will be fine, though. Don't worry about it. It's good good to have you along. Anyway, look, we've plenty to talk about from an Arsenal perspective. The week that we thought we were going to have, um, or the club thought they were going to have, in terms of the preseason preparation has obviously taken a bit of a hit because of the withdrawal from the Florida Cup, because a couple of staff members, I think staff members is the broad term that was used, uh, tested positive for COVID. Subsequently, Inter Milan have pulled out. There was talk that they might pull out anyway. Uh, it's a real blow for the fans over there because many of them purchased tickets and flights and hotels and, and everything else. But the big disappointment, of course, is, is not getting to see the team in person uh, over there. And it leaves Arsenal with a bit of a problem as well because those games were were important for the fitness, for the tactical preparation, etc. for Mikel Arteta. Yeah, definitely. I think the level of opposition, so when you look at Inter Milan, 
that was probably going to be a major test as well, considering, mm. of course, they didn't win in Scotland, but going from Hibs and Rangers to Inter Milan, it was probably going to be a, a considerable step up in terms of level of opposition and the test that these players were going to get. And of course, you've got Everton and uh, Milanarios. Hopefully I've pronounced that right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just giving it a go. <laughs> but um, they may not be as good as Inter Milan, but still, um, I think the the level of competition that was going to be there was probably one of the reasons that Arsenal wanted to, to participate. When you look at uh, the week now, I think is almost like damage limitation. What can you do now? Of course, we saw it was only a small number of cases, which is the the little bit of a positive you can take from it, that there may be still an option to uh, do some behind closed doors friendlies with the, the group that haven't tested positive mm. and don't have to self-isolate, but it is still very much a kick in the teeth, especially when you're that close to it. And I think fans if they were traveling from, if they weren't from Florida and they were traveling to the games, they probably were almost set to, to, to go and travel. So for mm. those guys and those um, fans who were so close <laughs> to seeing the, the players in person, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a massive blow. Um, but hopefully it doesn't derail um, the team as as much as it has this week. Yeah, well, well, true. And look, I know from experience when Arsenal go on tour somewhere, it's an amazing experience for for you know fans who may never get a chance to come to London and watch a game or come to Europe and, and see a European game or something like that. So I know that, you know, it's going to be really difficult for a lot of those fans, but hopefully at some point in the future when the world is a little more normal, um, Arsenal can get back out there and get back and, and those fans can get a chance to see the team. Uh, do you worry any, uh, at all about what might lie ahead for this season because of the increase in COVID cases, the, the protective bubble that, that existed around football now appears to be gone because all the restrictions in the UK are lifted and the sort of more, uh, more cases. Uh, we know vaccination has been a success or, you know, at least a, a part of a success, but it does feel like football is going to be, impacted. It's not just going to be Arsenal. Football itself may well find itself uh, having to deal with some difficult situations like where uh, a team or many members of a team are deemed unavailable because they have to isolate, etc., etc. And that, you know, I wonder, are there protocols in place for the Premier League to deal with this? Because there are questions then, aren't there, of like sporting integrity and fairness. If one team has got seven or eight or ten players missing because of isolation, uh, it's difficult to say that the the game should go ahead in that sense. Yeah, it was is much easier is probably the wrong word, but last season when the yes the sport is controlled, but society as a whole was mm. very much controlled as well. So you don't have that extra risk of just coming into contact randomly with a person who is carrying. I think now you don't even have to test positive to self isolate. So that makes it even more of a, a risk in terms of how the league is going to continue. I think even when you look at how uh, Inter, Man Inter Milan were viewing the Florida Cup before mm. Arsenal uh, cancelled, they were still a bit wary about even making that trip. And that shows the attitude that they, have, they had 
and probably other Premier League teams, other top teams across Europe are going to have as well when you can't guarantee the safety of players, fans who who would be going as well. I think the knock-on effects throughout the season are probably going to, they're going to come, I think, and mm. it's not going to be an easy ride. Um, where, how, I mean, how they're able to make it the ride a bit easier, I'm not sure yet because <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but um, I would hope that there, there remains some control. Um, maybe, yeah, I'm not sure if there's a way to ensure players aren't, coming into frequent contact with people who may be carrying. But again, that goes into a wet a discussion where you probably can't even fathom how to do that because yeah. you can't really restrict their movement. If, if they want to go to a shop or if they want to go to the cin- cinema and it just so happens that someone who's carrying is in the cinema, you can't really do anything about that. No, so but, and they've all got families and friends and kids and supermarkets and life in mm. general it is it is going to be a really interesting one to see to see how it goes but look hopefully hopefully people can stay uh, healthy and people can stay um you know on board with the, the the not the restrictions but i guess the kind of behaviors that help them keep it in check a little bit uh during during the last lockdown let's leave covid to one side i want to ask you a question um we're three weeks from the start of the new season, more or less. Uh, could actually be three weeks from today, actually, when Arsenal play Brentford. We're all focused on signings and the transfer market and, and what have you. But before we get to that, what are you most interested in this summer during this period? What is the thing, you know, obviously you could say players or, or you know, players coming, players going. But is there anything specific that you are curious to see about how this transfer window plays out. I think the main thing that interests me is what do the arrivals mean for the direction of this Arsenal? Uh, Because over the past couple of seasons, um, so say the post Wenger years, Mm. (laughs) um, the profile of player hasn't really been what it used to be. And I think uh, how say, uh, Nuno uh, Tavares, he's probably the most obvious uh, in terms of what the plan is for him, being a backup to Kieran Tierney. But then Albert Sambi Lakonga, I think he's probably the most promising so far, just because it gives you a bit more of a uh, scope to play around in midfield. Yeah, and um, I think I think obviously we're now fifteen years since the Emirates officially opened. And in that time, I was probably um, most fond of watching Arsenal play when they had uh, creative players who... You, you just stack the pitch with creativity, basically. Rizisky, Rizisky Kleb, Fabregas, Nasri, some of them playing on the wing. Mm. But it, it, in the end, they're all going to come inside and, and just play off each other. And I think... Um, that's what interests me most. How are you going to try and get back to maybe not exactly that, but uh, move away from a static uh, pedestrian type style of play that was uh, constant throughout the first half of last season and how are you going to build on the momentum from the second half of last season and maybe get closer towards a more fluid 
style of play. And that's what I'm probably most interested in, in um, not just the players. Uh, obviously, it does come down to the players, but also how the team is set up to, to do that as well. Yeah, sort of like, you know, who we bring in might dictate the way that we play and the kind of style of football that we play. And Mikel Arteta has spoken about a 4-3-3. And, you know, you can be you can be an attacking side playing three at the back as well. 3-4-3 three, three as Bar- Barcelona have shown us many times down the years. But it's about the intent, isn't it? It's about what your goal is on the pitch. Is it to go forward? Is it to have more shots? Is it to score more goals? It should be from an Arsenal perspective because that is some, something we've really struggled with. So, you know, on that basis... Given that we we are still three weeks away, in fairness, are you at all concerned that maybe some of those uh, signings that we would like to see, which give us indicators of of where the manager wants the team to go, haven't happened yet? I mean, like you say, Tavares is a is a backup left back, and it's good that we've got that because we suffered without Kieran Tierney. Uh, midfield, as we know, has needed some some uh, some work and still does. But but Sambi Lukonga comes in and he's got plenty of potential, as one of our guests earlier in the show has, has spoken about. So you know you can see some encouraging signs in those things, but it's the big ticket items that have still to happen, isn't it, isn't it really? Yeah, I think the there is probably still a bit of concern there that it hasn't happened or, or it hasn't advanced mm. as most would have liked because you look at the start of the season and first game is Brentford away, next is Chelsea away. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I can't remember if that's home or away, actually. But Brentford, Chelsea, Manchester City that are yeah. a very tough three games. I wouldn't want to underestimate Brentford one bit because although they're a promoted side, they're a very good team. And I think they will give Arsenal a very good game. Yeah. So that start, you need to almost hit the ground running basically. And maybe, um, maybe that big ticket player not being in does raise a concern for those games. But with the transfer window being a bit longer than it has been in <laughs> in past years, that's where I guess the hope remains that it can get sorted for uh, the rest of the season because and uh, and people will uh, know how much of a uh, big Emil Smith Rowe fan that I am. I'm not. I don't think that Arsenal can rely on him for an entire season alone. Um, not just because of. Um, the physical side of things, but also I wouldn't really want to be going into a season with just one creative midfielder. I I would want him to be able to play off somebody else uh, during games as well. Similar to what he did with uh, Martin Odegaard uh, for the second half of last season. Um, So yeah, I think it's still a concern at the minute that that hasn't advanced as people on the outside would would have liked, but I would hope that, um, that's an area that gets sorted before the end of the window. Yeah, I mean, I think it's different, but as, uh, I think as the Kieran Tierney situation showed, that when you've got a really good player who's vital to the way you play, if you lose that player, you you lose so much from what you're trying to do. Um, and you can maybe question how you go about uh, dealing with scenarios like that. But yeah, if you have one creative midfield player and you lose him, then you're in big, big trouble. So that that signing is a, a really important one. If I were to put you on the spot right now and say that before the Brentford game, 
you could make one of the following signings. So it is that second creative midfield player, whether it's James Madison or, you know, Martin Odegaard, even though that's very unlikely, you know, that player or the central midfielder that everyone pretty much acknowledges we need to play alongside Thomas Partey. Which one would you do before the season starts? I... I would 95% go with the creative midfielder. Oh, that is interesting. Why I would... Think, why? I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, just yeah, why? I think, so, I may still be haunted by last season, by last summer, <laughs> <laughs> and how how uh, the season went after deadline day, um, when, yes, Arsenal signed Thomas Partey, but they didn't register Mesut Ozil. I'm not going to, I'm sure we're not going to try and get into that again. No. <laughs> but um, for, until Boxing Day, they didn't have a creative midfielder. Mm. And I think that, um, that in my eyes is a priority, um, especially now that um, Lukonga's through the door. I think that, yes, Granit Xhaka is like probably one of the most influential players in that in the way Arteta set up last season. Um, but I would rather have um, a bit more flares, the wrong word again, but um, just someone who's able to move and get the ball into, into the final third. I, I'd rather have that um, knowing that we have... Uh, Arsenal have um, Lukonga and Partey there, as well as Mohamed Elneny, who I, I know he gets, well, I know he's not everyone's favourite, but uh, for the time being, he will do, I, I'd say. Right. That's interesting, because I think I go the other way. I think the presence of Smith Rowe gives us a bit of time to, uh, you know, to to find the guy before the end of the window, to find the creative guy before the end of the window, whereas I feel like we're we're just a little bit weak in that central midfield area with with Sambi, who's going to be uh, you know someone who develops over the course of the season. And then he, like I think he's a perfectly serviceable Premier League player. He's not very exciting. We know what he is right now. I think we know he can play okay alongside Thomas Partey, who has at times lifted the level of of those around him. But I just feel like going into going into not necessarily the Brentford game, but certainly the Chelsea and Manchester City games, if we had that midfield position sorted, that partner for Partey, I, I just wonder if it would give us a better platform. But look, um, whatever way we do it, I hope we just do it. You know, we've got to get that attacking <laughs> midfielder in. We've got to get the uh, we've got to get the central midfielder in as well. So, uh, yeah, well, interesting. Okay, now. Let's talk about a couple of rumors that have been doing the rounds. And before we spoke, before we got started, you said, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I had to go out in the garden and compose my thoughts about something. And uh, that something was Tammy Abraham. So that's a that's an interesting place to start this discussion. Uh, Arsenal are being linked with uh, James, as written in The Athletic, um, that, that they are interested in Tammy Abraham. They were interested in Alexander Izak as well, a, another striker. So 
it's not as if they've just decided that they would like a striker. You can see why as well, can't you? With Aubameyang getting getting a bit older, Eddie Nketi is going to be out the door, Lacazette in the last year of his contract. Ideally, I think you should try and sell him to, to uh, recoup some money. And after that, you've got Balagoon, who's never played a Premier League minute. It's a lot to ask of a, a young player to come in and do that. So a sort of mid-age striker is is understandable. So where is your um, head at with this? Because I think you can see, if you step back from it, some logic. But I think as Arsenal fans, and I don't want to speak for anyone else, I'll speak for myself entirely here, but I I suspect this is something that people might connect with. I have some deep-seated trauma about signing players from Chelsea. (laughs) And it it sort of colours my my view on those deals. So where where are you at with that? Yeah, I think my issue doesn't come from that, surprisingly. Right. Um, I actually think Tammy Abraham is a good player. Um, I think he's a cool guy. I'm just, where my confusion has come in is how does he fit into a Mikel Arteta striker role? Um because we've seen since Arteta came in, he's tried to kind of merge Eddie Nketiah, Alex Lacazette, and Pierre Aubameyang into almost the complete forward that can do everything. Mm. And yes, it may be, I'd say Lacazette has probably fit into that mold better than the other two, but he's still not um, that player. And... I don't really see Tammy Abraham as that player either. I think um, he's probably more, and I think people maybe get confused about what he's good at because he's so tall. People think he's just going to be that target man, but he's not really that guy. Mm. He He's very good in terms of the use of his body. He can move well and he gets into really good positions. But when, when you actually sit down and watch him, I think one of the areas where he can improve is being a bit more aggressive with his body and uh, being that guy that can hold the ball up consistently Mm. and bring others into play. So that's where my kind of confusion came in because, um, again, just speaking from a personal point of view, I do think he can probably improve and get to a decent level at that. But um, I also would would think that there may be better options out there. One thing that is probably maybe important to to remember as well as he's English. So that may mm. <laughs> I'm 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 assuming that is playing a role in that because I'm sure we're gonna talk about the goalkeepers later. But um that's probably that's cropped up with that uh, area of the pitch as well. So um yeah my my um, thoughts are more around how he, how well he would fit into Mikel Arteta's vision of yeah. a striker, rather than rather than the Chelsea stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe the Chelsea stuff is more relevant if we were going toe to toe with Chelsea. If you know what I mean, like the idea. I mean, there's an idea that we'll stop a giving Chelsea money and stop taking players that they don't want. Can you bridge a gap if you're consistently taking players who your so-called rivals no longer want? I think he's an interesting player, Tammy Abraham. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Adi Bayor 
in terms mm. of his profile and, and how he plays the game. Still only 23, has scored plenty of goals um, during his loan spells. In particular, he was very impressive. And um, we've seen, I suppose, if people want to write that off, we have seen young Arsenal strikers go on similar loan uh Soares or, or forays out to the lower leagues and not do anywhere near as much as Tammy, uh, Tammy Abraham did. So I think there's a player there, isn't there? But it's, yeah. you know, it's one of those ones, and we're going to come to the goalkeeper now in a second, where people are looking at it going, well, you still need to do the midfielder. You still need to do the attacking midfielder. Where's the right back? What's happening there? And you're you're talking about big money for a goalkeeper and big money for a striker. Yeah, yeah. as James says, though, you've got to you've got to move somebody on, or at least two of those players on Enkedia for one and probably Lacazette I think the difficulty that Arsenal might face is that there doesn't appear to be a great deal of interest in Alexander Lacazette yeah I think that that is another thing because you've got Eddie Enkedia who is probably going to be easier to move on mm. if, if they choose to do so uh, Lacazette who although he is in now he's in the last year of his contract and I know how divisive a player he is on on social media in particular. Um, But with him, there's no shying away from how big an influence he has on that dressing room as well. So with that in mind, in my head as well, what just makes it swell, the thought swell even more is he is one of the core players of this current team. And if you get rid of that, then bring in Tammy Abraham. Okay, you can see I guess the how how it will change in a footballing type of way mm. but you then miss out on what Lacazette brings uh, away from what happens on the football pitch because he is someone that a large uh, chunk of the young players speak about as someone who helps them uh, settle into the first team environment as well mm. and I think Aubameyang has been spoken about as someone who does that as well, but you've also lost David Luiz this summer who who did that extremely well. So that's just where I also think about the the dynamics of yeah. of the squad and how that changes. Um, but maybe I'm over, overthinking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those where you kind of go, yeah, those things are important to an extent. You know, yeah. like being a good guy in the dressing room and being helpful as a senior player. And, and there are benefits, obviously, when young players come through and if, if they're made feel welcome and there's there's sort of training ground advice and all of those things, that's really helpful. But I suppose the other side of that is that like with these guys in the team, you know, we haven't really made any progress. And there are other reasons for that. It's not simply down to them. That that would be wrong to say. You know, it's a bit too reductive to say, well, like I said, it's a good guy in the dressing room, but since he signed, we haven't done this, that, or the other. There are many other reasons as to why we haven't done those things. I just think that maybe sometimes part of... Um, Part of rebuilding and part of renewal is is changing, as you say, the dynamic inside the dressing room and allowing other people to step up and and take over those leadership roles or however you want to call them, uh, because it's kind of their time. Those guys have done their bit and fair play and thank you very much. But um, I, I do think finding someone to take Lacazette off our hands with just a year left is is going to be easier said than done. Mm. Yeah, and one one thing I also kind of that makes me think is um, so I was actually chatting to uh, 
Liam Toymey, who's our Chelsea correspondent mm. at The Athletic. So I was chatting to him earlier about Tammy Abraham. And he said probably last season, so the Lampard's Tuchel season, um, the best spell for him was when he was playing up front with uh, Timo Werner on the left, mm. where he was almost... Yes, he, w- he would have chances for himself, but he would also look to bring Werner into the play. And I wonder, um, would that work or could... That I think that could work with maybe Abraham through the middle and Lacazette moving back out to the left. Um, but again, that that's probably just me thinking about random situations that may not happen. But um, that's that's one area where I, I do think that it could work quite do, well. Do you mean Aubameyang moving to the left and not Lacazette to the left? Yeah, Aubameyang, sorry. That's why <laughs> yeah. I was really thinking, wow. <laughs> so, this is causing I, you some may, stress. <laughs> yeah, my thoughts may have been jumbled there, but yeah, I mean, uh, Aubameyang moving out to the yeah, left. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, I got you. For uh, a while, I was confused. I was like, what? what? Hang on. <laughs> That's very enough. But yeah, you could you could maybe see it. I do, you know, I do wonder about that Aubameyang on the left thing at, at his stage with, with his legs. But look, it seems like it's an area that Arsenal are looking at anyway, as is goalkeeper. So we've already spoken on the podcast to uh, uh, Ben from Blades Pod, a uh, Sheffield United podcast about Aaron Ramsdale, about our interest in him, which is confusing even to him. We had a good long discussion about it, but, you know, elements of it are, are confusing to him. Arsenal are looking for a number two goalkeeper this summer. The homegrown status is is playing into that. It's part of it. How much sense does the Ramsdale thing make to you? To me, it, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense because, okay, you can maybe look at how much shots he's facing and say, okay, well, maybe he's permanently proven. But again, we, we know that Mikel Arteta is not just looking at goalkeepers for what they do when the ball's flying at them. Mm. He's looking at what they do with their feet and how confident they are as well. And when watching Ramsdale... I think uh, in terms of distribution, a lot of the percentage of his distribution is long. Fizz balls like around to the halfway line. And to be to be fair to him, um, a, uh, a fair amount of those are quite accurate. Those kind of fizzed, I'm not going to say <laughs> that goalkeeper because I don't want to have comparisons to go. But um, those long uh, scraping balls. Yeah. Far, uh, far up the pitch, they they work out quite well at times. But if you're looking to for a goalkeeper who's maybe going to be building play in a more short distance terms uh, with passes, uh, I don't really see that vision <laughs> uh, with Ramsdale. Um, and considering Sam Johnston is the other goalkeeper who uh, is of interest to Arsenal, uh, I wouldn't even think. I don't think there's a debate as to who is the better goalkeeper. Um, it's Johnston. If, if people, if, if people weren't sure. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it strikes me as uh, desperate is again, probably the wrong word, but it just seems like why not go for Johnston when you have the chance right now? 
Do, do you think the timing of this, just finally, do you think the timing of the reports around Ramsdale plays into concerns that people might have? So let's imagine for one beautiful moment we're sitting here and we've got the central midfielder and we've got the attacking midfielder that you and we so desperately want and we've got the new right back and that's sorted. So we're covered in midfield. We've got Ben White in. We've spent the money and then they do Ramsdale. Do you think people will be more inclined to say, eh, it's a bit weird, but like, fuck it. We've still got Leno, blah, blah, blah. There is, I think, a sense that if we were to do the Ramsdale thing at the price that's doing the rounds, which is £30 million, which I, I find hard to believe uh, that that's the level of spending we would make on a backup goalkeeper, even if the long-term plan is to make him the number one. There is a, a sense that th- that kind of money could prohibit some of the other more desirable moves. Yeah, I, I do think that does play a role into it because especially like before, when, when we talk about I guess our perceived uh, priorities, they're elsewhere. But I guess one thing that maybe plays into that is because those positions are much harder to fill, it probably takes a longer amount of time mm. to, to get those deals done. Um, that still being said, I do think that if Ramsdale was to come through the door before those, um, those positions, so like a central midfielder and a uh, attacking midfielder, I, I would understand why Arsenal fans <laughs> would be concerned. Um, and if he was to be the last one through the door, I do think there would probably be more of a reluctant acceptance <laughs> that that he's come through the door. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, the, the the final one when you said the last one there, I thought you were meaning that would be the last signing of the summer. I was going, <laughs> uh, yeah, there would be <laughs> there'd be riots. There would be riots. <laughs> <laughs> No, so I meant yeah, yeah. if he was to come after <laughs> uh, the central midfield and central attacking midfield. Okay, well, look, we'll see how it all plays out. There's still time for Mikel Arteta and Edu and Richard Garlic to do their stuff. Uh, we'll see what happens, see what order they come in and what order of outrage accompanies each signing because of that. But look, Art, thanks a million uh, for your time. Really appreciate talking to you and we'll, we'll uh, catch you again soon. Thank you very much. And yeah, we'd be happy to come back on. Thank you very much indeed to Art. You can find him on Twitter at Art Deroche, at Art Deroche. And of course, he writes about Arsenal and other stuff sometimes too, I think, in The Athletic. Right. Going to leave it there for now. We were supposed to be playing Inter Milan this weekend, but obviously because of what's happened, that is not the case. James and I will be here at some point over the next couple of days with an Arsecast Extra. I'm still not 100% sure on the schedule for that one, but uh, we'll try and make it as close to Monday morning as possible. It really all depends on other things uh, that James is committed to and whatever schedule he has there, but we will work around them and make sure that we have a podcast for you. As ever, thank you for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have yourselves a lovely weekend, whatever you're getting up to, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Do you want more say over how your football club is run? Do you want influence over key decisions? Then look no further than... Crypto Balls! Crypto Balls is the new cryptocurrency especially for football fans. By investing in Crypto Balls, you can vote on such matters as... High flavors, flag direction, grass color, stairwell decoration, stewards' outfits, and much more. So to have your say, buy Crypto Balls! The value of your crypto balls may go down. Crypto balls may not be used as currency. You may not trade crypto balls for goods or services. Your influence will be meager. Crypto balls are regulated by the... Oh, wait. They're not regulated at all. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.